Lord, we, um, we want to pray that prayer from Nehemiah 8 last week, that our ears would be attentive. Um, we, find, we just honestly say, Lord, we find your word hard at times to understand and to get to grips with. But as Rod speaks now, we pray our ears would be attentive. You'd help us engage with what it says and what he's uh, sharing so that we can uh, know you more and enjoy you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Does this go up? It does. <laughs> That's better. Thanks, James. Excellent. Have we got the PowerPoint, Alec? Okay, we should... We're getting there. We're all getting there, aren't we? I hope we know where we're getting. <laughs> Good. It's lovely to see everybody. Uh, can you go back? Back, back, back. No? Right. Hang on. Let's see if I can take you back. No? No? Uh, just talk amongst yourselves for a minute. <laughs> that's it, that's it. That's not a problem, that's not a problem. But we just, it's, it's good to start at the beginning rather than halfway through. We're looking at Nehemiah chapter 9 this morning and it is a magnificent chapter. It's an absolutely fabulous chapter. It is... one of the most amazing prayers that you will find in the whole of Scripture. And it is a prayer of confession and repentance, but it is absolutely wonderful. Now, there's a lot of discussion about it. People ask, why was Ezra so prominent in chapter 8 and he's he's not anywhere to be seen in chapter 9? And people ask, what month are they talking about? And all sorts of things, which actually interest me, but probably would bore most of you silly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But this, this is the scene. Last week we heard how the law was read to the people, the word of God was read to the people. And the first reaction was one of, of sadness and mourning. But they, was, they were told, no, this is a time of rejoicing. And they celebrated together the Feast of Booths. And remember that sort of key phrase last week, the, or, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So that was a time of rejoicing. And it was part of the renewal of God's people. But the renewal couldn't stop there. There was need for a deeper work. And so, on this day that we see in chapter 9, the people are together again. The word of God is read again. But this time, the response is a prayer of confession. Well, let's let's have a little bit of a look. 
at chapter 9. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I would suggest that if you've got time, you go through it at home. It's an absolutely fabulous chapter. Nehemiah 9. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth, having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs were the Levites, and like James, I'm not going to go through the names. <laughs> and they called with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, another group of them, said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God. Older folks amongst us, which may be a majority, might uh, remember a hymn that began, Stand up and bless the Lord. You people of his choice. Yeah, okay, that's where it came from. Stand up and bless the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all the starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you and we could go on but I want to go to the end of the chapter so let's go down to verse 32 now therefore O our God the great mighty and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes the hardship that has come upon us, upon our kings and leaders, upon our priests and prophets, upon our fathers and all your people from all the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have been just, you've acted faithfully, while we did wrong. Our kings, our leaders, our priests and our fathers did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the warnings that you gave them even while they were in their kingdom enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them. They did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we're slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave to our forefathers so that they could eat its fruit and other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. The main bulk of the chapter is this prayer. Amazing, amazing prayer. As we look at the chapter, we see there's a double confession. First, there's a confession of who God is. 
There's a lot of majoring on who God is. And then, there's the confession of sin. So there's a double confession. And actually, there's a double commitment. First, there's a double commitment, first of all, to leave the ways of the past. That's implied in the prayer. And secondly, there's a commitment to the future, which comes out much more clearly in chapter 10. And there's a repeated pattern in this prayer. First, the prayer says, Lord, you are this and this. And because of that, you do this and this. So that's there. Lord, you're great, you're creator, whatever. And you do this. And secondly, but your people rebelled and did that and that. And then thirdly, but you, Lord, you're compassionate and forgiving. You didn't desert them. And that sort of merges back into number one. So there's that sort of pattern. And it accelerates. It gathers pace as the prayer goes on. And it ends with a cry for mercy. You know, that must have been an amazing day. A solemn day. A significant day. And I think what they were doing is this. They were fulfilling what God had promised to Solomon at the dedication of the temple. Because God said to Solomon on that day, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That's what they were doing. They were in great distress. And they were going back to that promise given when Solomon had had built the temple and the glory of the Lord came and God spoke. If my people. Two things. First of all, What does this prayer teach us about God? I'm going to race through some things. You're probably not going to remember everything. Don't worry. It's not an exam. Nobody gets points for remembering all the points that I make. But what what I would like you to do is to appreciate the God that we're talking about. Get a sense of who he is and what he does. So, First of all, in the prayer, we see that he's creator. Lord, you made all of this. You, you created the heavens and the earth and you did it by your great power. You are great and mighty. First of all, God is creator. Do you know that is something 
today that we need a robust theology about with all, all whatever her name is, Greta Thunberg and, and, and who is it, Rebellion? <laughs> um, sorry? Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, Rebellion just think it's, oh, I'm, I'm getting <laughs> my brain is not actually right this morning <laughs> but you know what I mean we need a robust Theology, understanding that God is creator, not just that he made the world, not arguing about did he make it in seven literal days or whatever, whatever. I think that's really rather irrelevant. What we need is an understanding that because God made the world and put us in it, we have a responsibility to it. We have a God-given responsibility to the creation that he's made. And in uh, Extinction Rebellion or uh, Insulate Britain and all of that, I've got it. (laughs) You know, they haven't got the answer. Not ultimately, because the um, ultimate answer is the changed hearts of people. But we need a robust understanding of that. God is creator. Secondly, God is sovereign. You read down the prayer. You chose Abraham. You chose him out of all the nations of the earth. You made Abraham into Abraham. It was your sovereign work. And Abraham was found to be faithful. God is sovereign. Trouble is, when we start talking about that, then people start saying, oh, well, if God elected some, did he choose not to elect others and all that? Forget all of that this morning. Understand that this world is still in the hands of the sovereign God. And we, you, me, we are safe and secure in him because God chose Abraham it, it, it reflects what Jesus said or rather Jesus reflects that he said you did not chose me, choose me but I chose you that you go out and bear a lot of fruit praise God that he's in control and he's not subject to the whims of our pernicious free will. He's in control. He's sovereign. What a wonderful God he is. He's the deliverer. He moves on. Ah, but you saw the suffering of your people. You saw them there in Egypt. You responded to their cry. And you worked the greatest deliverance then, which was known. You brought your people out of Egypt. You took them through the Red Sea. You brought them finally into the Promised Land. A mighty, victorious act of deliverance. What a great God you are. The Creator, the Sovereign, delivered His people. And we know an even greater deliverance. 
We've been singing about the name of Jesus. What a fabulous song. The name of Jesus that can set the captive free. The name of Jesus that can work deliverance and healing. The name of Jesus that can bring forgiveness and new life. Jesus himself. Do you know him? Do you really know him? Do you know that Jesus is Lord and the rescuer, the saviour? What a God. What an amazing God. He's a God of revelation. You spoke on Mount Sinai. You gave the law to Moses. You revealed yourself. You gave your word. A God of revelation. Do you know today, students are being taught in Oxford and Cambridge, as well as elsewhere, that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Something that would seem totally logical to us but truth is no longer in some circles absolute you've got your truth I've got my truth they may be different they may contradict but they're both true wrong wrong that challenges us because who said I am the way the truth yeah the truth we have big claims to make and they're getting bigger and increasingly we will face a society that says just what he says your truth thank God the name of Jesus is strong a God of revelation could say more on all of these He's a God of forgiveness. But even though they rebelled, what did God do? He forgave them. He forgave them. He still led them on. And if you follow the prayer, this is what happens. He still led them on. They'd done wrong, but he gave, he forgave them. He forgave them, forgave them. My goodness, I hope you haven't done a tweet or a Facebook entry 10, 15, 20 years ago that you regret. Because if someone finds it, you could be cancelled. Why not? Yeah. That can be devastating. You know, we're entering a society where there is no forgiveness. You made a racial remark when you were a teenager. We can't forgive you. Folks, we're going to be increasingly countercultural because we we say there is forgiveness, there is restoration. We can be set on a new set on a new path because Jesus died and He took away our sin. Praise God. He's a God of forgiveness and he forgives you because he's forgiven me. And he's a generous God. 
and on the prayer goes. But even though they'd rebelled, you forgave them, but you gave them, you gave them, you gave them manna, you, you led them by the pillar of fire and cloud, you gave them the promised land, you gave them cities, you gave them victory over their enemies, you gave them wells where there was water to drink, you gave, you gave, you gave. A generous God. And he's still generous. He gives so much to us that we don't deserve. He just gives to us. Thank God he does not give us on the basis of our merit or earning. He gives us because he's a God of grace. That's the word. Generous. Giving, giving, giving. What a wonderful God he is and he's still giving to us. And whatever you need, he longs to give it to you. A generous God. Ah, but the final point. He is a God who disciplines his people. And so the prayer says, well, they rebelled, so you, you attack them with louder enemies to attack them. And finally, first of all, the northern kingdom, and then secondly, the the southern kingdom of Judah went into captivity. But you didn't abandon them. This was your discipline to bring us back to you. Do you know God still disciplines? That's not a side we major on very much, is it? Well, it isn't. If something goes wrong, it might be the enemy. No, it could be God's discipline. Things have gone wrong. I better seek God. I better trust him more. That's what he intended. His discipline. But of course he disciplines as a loving father. Not as a tyrant. Not as a dictator. But as a father that loves us. And gave his son to die for us. He disciplines us. Going through a tough time, Well, there could be all sorts of reasons, but one could be here, not must be, but could be, that God is saying, come on, son, daughter, come back to me, trust me a bit better, do what I want you to do. It's just my fatherly discipline. And that's the way the prayer works through. Fabulous, wonderful. And then we get to this, this cry, cry for mercy at the end. Wow. And this is, this is summarising what we've read together. Oh God, please see the hardship that has come upon us. It's not small, but it's great. Some of us felt that in lockdown. Some of us feel that because of the circumstances of life. Oh Lord, you've been faithful but we've done wrong. And, and we have to admit our leaders, our kings, the ones who rule over us disobeyed you. And although you've done so much for us we've been disobedient and the blessings that you've given to us we've ignored or, or taken for granted whoops 
God, you know when I wrote that I thought that spoke to me isn't it easy to take what God does for you for granted and we're now slaves in our own land they say yes we're back here we're in Jerusalem the walls have been built the temple is there but we're slaves we're in great distress wow so what does that tell us about confession let me just give three very brief things it's real they were facing up to the reality of the situation God this is how it is I can't hide it from you we can't hide it from you you know it anyway this is the reality I'm not going to dress it up with flowery language this is it secondly that implies that it was honest yeah we've let you down Lord our leaders have failed us but we've followed suit we're not going to shift the blame onto others we're part of this together and finally it was specific we are slaves in our own land and we're in great distress do you know confession of sin is not part of our tradition really or let me put it a little more gently is perhaps not as part of our tradition as it ought to be and I do use the word tradition advisedly because we have traditions the way we worship is our tradition this and confession isn't so much part of that now we can apply this two ways we can apply it personally and that's the way we naturally do it so we look at a scripture and I'm looking and they pray like this and we're saying how does this that I'm reading apply to me but there's another way and the more important way as far as this passage is concerned it applies to God's people as a whole or let's make it concrete it applies to us individually and corporately I'm going to finish with a couple of stories so personal story thank you for praying for us as we went to Romania Uh, we spoke about it on Wednesday night at the prayer session we had a really fruitful time it was it was great to see the folks again as I said uh, on Wednesday it's partly my second home Uh, you know we've got this lovely relationship one of the things that um, really is encouraging about the situation out there is that today a couple are being baptised we're 11 o'clock now they'll they'll be uh, having their baptism in an hour or so because they're two hours ahead of us and this we'd never met the couple before I'd I'd not seen them before they'd been coming to the church for about a year apparently but of course uh, it's two years since we've been out there and um, this 
this couple had a, had a fantastic story to tell. They'd come to the church, they'd just turned up, they sat and listened to the good news being proclaimed and they, they had just made a decision to trust Jesus, to accept him as their Lord and Saviour and King and that had happened sort of by themselves I, I, as far as I know and then they told the church leaders about it and there were two significant things that uh, was going to happen. One, they wanted to have their marriage blessed amongst God's people. Now, they, they, were, they were married civilly in, in the sense that um, in a registry office or the Romanian equivalent, that's, that's fine. They were legally married, but they wanted God to bless, uh, bless their marriage. That was, that was fantastic. And you, you could tell them just by looking at them, they were sort of radiant with it, you know, it was wonderful. But the other thing was that the guy and I've been struggling to remember their names, but I think we think it was Gita, don't we? Yeah. Um, but if it wasn't, it doesn't matter. Um, but he had had a very dysfunctional background. And from what I gather, from what uh, Jonathan, the church leader, said, his childhood had been characterised by violence in the home. He'd suffered what we would call physical abuse. You know, and as he grew older, then he began to retaliate, as can happen. And, and I, from what I, I gathered, things in the home got very, very bad. And eventually, he walked out and he said, I don't want ever to see them again. Ever. Then he trusted Jesus. Then Jesus forgave his sin and set him free. And then he said, I must go back to my parents. And he did. But when he went back, he didn't say anything about the way they had treated him. He went back and he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for the way I abused you. I'm sorry that I walked out and left you. That's true confession and repentance you know sometimes and please hear me I'm not criticising you but sometimes we can get someone to say the so called sinner's prayer and they confess everything and repent of nothing but God had honed in on that one issue and he said I want you to get right with your parents and the freedom that he and his wife together now experienced, it, they were just radiant. That was wonderful. An individual, if you like, response to this prayer. But what about corporate? Because this wasn't an individual in chapter 9. This was the nation. This was the people of God standing together, being together. 
A friend of mine from college, Andrew, went down to uh, a church near Worthing, Darrington Baptist Church. And um, he, like a number of us, as he was there for a bit, began to experience uh, what came to be known as charismatic renewal. And so a traditional Baptist church in those days um, began to go through the sort of transformations that happened in the 70s and 80s. So there's the songs changed, the, the way we, the worship changed, spiritual gifts began to appear, there was prophetic words, there was tongues, interpretation, healings, there were all sorts of things. And, and, and actually, he, he wrote a book about it, uh, which I haven't got now, I think I lent it out years ago and never got it back, doesn't matter, it's, it's probably not published anyway now. But, um, and, and, you know, the church came alive. But then God began to convict them as a church that there were things in their past that displeased him. And it went back almost before any of them were there. If you like, that, that current congregation. And they began to research their past. And they realised that there were people who had left the church very hurt because of things that had happened. People who had left the church because of, yes, real mistakes that maybe the church leaders at the time had made or people who felt excluded or not welcomed for one reason or another. And God said to them, I want you to put it right. And so they began to find out where people were. Some, some had passed on. Some they couldn't find. But others through contacts, etc. And some were still living locally, obviously. They said, we want you to come to a special day and we're going to say sorry. And they did. And people, whether rightly or wrongly, who had been hurt because of that local church, and the current leaders and the people said we're sorry will you forgive us the release that the church found through that was very significant Now, I'm not saying that's what we need to do. Please, hear me. But, supposing God began to put a finger on something here and say, Church, you need to repent of that. Would we, A, have the courage to hear it, 
and B, the courage to respond to it. You see, this is what God says. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves. That was a humbling experience. Pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Thank you God, you're going to hear. Whoa. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal thy land. We're not talking about the UK or England. Where is the land now? We have come to Mount Zion. We have come to the New Jerusalem. The land is us. And I believe that's God's promise. Whoa. If we confess our sin corporately, He's faithful. He's just. He will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please God, should we be in that position, let us claim your promise and let's claim your forgiveness and let's claim the victory that Jesus won for us. Father, I pray that we'll hear your word this morning. You are an amazing God. Lord, you are an amazing God. We sing it. You are. You're fabulous. You're great. You're a God who is the creator. You're the one who is sovereign. You're the one who who is over us and looks after us. You give and give and give to us. You, you restore us. You, you're so good to us, Lord. And we praise you. But Lord, sometimes we know individually we fail you. Have mercy, Lord. And Lord, maybe sometimes together we fail you. Help us, Lord. We come to you and we claim your promise that you will hear from heaven, you will forgive our sin and you'll heal our land. You'll heal us here. Thank you, Lord. Amen.